the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amin. Today is the fourth Sunday of the blessed month, the Coptic month of Toby, and we read from the ninth chapter of the Gospel of St. John, the account of the healing of the blind man. And as you know, this reading is also given to us during the weeks of the Holy Lent, so in just a, some few more weeks we'll be reading this Gospel again. We need to ask ourselves, what does the act of healing mean to Christ? <clears throat> we know that many people who are sick, who have any sort of difficulty or trial, they want to be saved, they want to be healed, they want to be made whole. But what does the act of healing mean to Christ? Why does he heal? Why does he heal some and not others? Of course, one of the great uh, titles that we give our Lord in the church and the prayers is the lover of mankind, right? The philanthropic one, the one who loves humanity. And so it might be tempting for us to think of Christ as sort of this great social worker, this uh, benevolent one who seeks to eliminate suffering from the world. But in fact, he didn't come to eliminate suffering. He didn't come to heal all people who are sick. But Christ saw the deep meaning of suffering and he wanted to open it for us. He saw the connection between suffering and the fall, between sin and death. And he also saw suffering, therefore, as the return to God, as a means of returning one to the thought of God, to the remembrance of God, to the remembrance of what the fall meant for all of us. So as one spiritual father writes, he says, Christ's healing derives from God. It reveals God and leads to God. By healing, Jesus revealed himself in action. Thus, he gives concrete expression to the reality of the living God. To make men penetrate to the reality of the living God, that is why Christ healed. So Christ has one goal when he heals. It's to reveal God and to return man back to God. It's not to, again, be sort of this glorified humanitarian in which he seeks to eliminate all suffering and all of the ailments of the world. So we might see in the healing of this blind man three degrees or three levels of healing. Of course, when the eyes of the blind man are opened, he sees the world. He sees his parents, perhaps his friends for the first time. He sees the trees and the flowers and the grass and the mountains he sees the great temple. And this is something very wonderful and, and beautiful. We can only imagine the joy of one whose eyes have been opened since childbirth to finally see. We might see the second degree of sight for him, that he sees Jesus. That he is able to look upon him who healed him and to recognize him as the Son of God. This is even something much better than the sight of creation. And yet we might even say that there's a third degree in which this man receives sight and healing. And we would say that this is when his eyes are opened not to see the world and not even simply to see Christ, but to see Christ who sees him, to see Christ who is looking at him, to see Christ whose eyes are fixed on him. And this is something even much better than the first two. Not just to look upon Christ, but to see that we are being looked upon by Christ. And that's the beginning of the gospel, right? Now, as Jesus passed by, 
what he saw, a man who was born blind from birth. A man who was blind from birth. He passed by and saw. But he could not see that he was seen. He could not know that Christ saw him until his eyes were opened and saw the gaze of Christ. And so, this is the reality of the miracle for all of us today, is that each one of us must awaken to the reality and the beauty that God looks at us, that he seeks us, and that he loves us. In fact, as some of the spiritual writers have so beautifully and poetically said, the whole of prayer and the whole of the spiritual life can be summarized in saying, we are to look at God who is looking at us. That is the the summary of all spiritual life, to be able to look at him who is looking at me. St. John, the evangelist, he says in his epistle, God is love. Hopefully, we, we know this well. We have memorized this short verse in the, in the scriptures. God is love. And then he also says, we love him because he first loved us. God is love but we could only love him because we are first loved. God is love, and we can only love one another when we are first loved by God. So the beginning is to be loved. The beginning is to be seen. The beginning is to be found. And then we can see. Then we can love. And so, as one of the saints wrote very beautifully, she said, we have to let ourselves be loved by Jesus. What do, we, what do we mean by letting ourselves be loved by him? It is to receive his approach of love, even if it humbles and embarrasses us. Letting ourselves be loved by him is to open ourselves to all the demands of love. It is to give Jesus pleasure in his most intimate desires. In a word, letting ourselves be loved means losing our soul in Jesus and being a flawless mirror that reflects his glance. It means being flexible to his will, as if our own had neither life nor being, except that of receiving his love and accommodating ourselves to his desires. She says this is the life-giving gaze of Jesus that produces saints. What a beautiful expression. The life-giving gaze of Jesus that produces saints. She summarizes for us in her, in, her, in her outlook what it means to be a saint, how to become a saint. It's to receive the life-giving gaze which transforms us into saints. In other words, what she says is the more in our prayer life, the more in our spiritual reading of the scriptures and the lives of the saints and the holy books of the church, the more we approach the sacraments with faith, we discover the face of God. We discover his face looking at us. We discover his gaze, the gaze of love and mercy and compassion. And this gaze draws us into his heart. It draws us into his thoughts. It draws us into his actions. It makes us part of him. He pulls us into his own body, and then we become an extension of him. She says Jesus' gaze when he walked on the earth would cause a profound awakening in others. When he passed by, the eyes of the blind were opened. Paralytics threw away their crutches. Those who were sick sprang up from their beds completely cured. 
Jesus had a divine attraction about him that tore at hearts that were thirsting for love and truth. He satisfied their longing because he himself was love, truth, and life. Let us ask Jesus, she goes on to say, to look at us as he looked at St. Peter, who repented with tears, as he looked at St. Mary Magdalene, whose sadness was turned to joy on Easter. Let us ask Jesus to look at us with this life-giving gaze that produces saints. Let us beg for those divine glances that open the soul to holy expansiveness. And let us allow ourselves to be bathed in those most holy glances that purify, sanctify, unite, and intimately bind the divine heart to our own. So I came across this week as I was doing some reading and reflecting on the gospel, I came across a beautiful story and, uh, of a priest who is now very elderly, still alive. His name is Father Lawrence or Father Larry Gillick. The interesting thing about Father Larry Gillick is that from about the age of eight, he lost his sight and he was blind. And yet, he was able to go to seminary and become a priest. And now, in his 80s, I believe he is, he has been giving talks and retreats and seminars throughout his life regularly. He says in his own words, and the reason why I want to share a little bit about his perspective is because he tells us what it means, what it feels like to be blind. He discovered in his own life what he said, a couple of interesting and beautiful realities he says, for me, one of the major conversions of my life was going from being a blind man to a man who was blind. Think about that. For a while, he saw that he was defined by his blindness. Maybe each one of us, we feel that we are defined by something we're ashamed of or that we feel disables us. And he said it was a great moment of freedom when he went from being a blind man to a man who was blind. And then he realized also that he had received much more in spiritual sight and gifts and graces than he had lost by his physical sight. So he has something to say to us about this gospel specifically. He says, at the age of eight years, I was given a terrible gift. He calls it a terrible gift of losing my sight through a fall from a porch's railing. He was sitting on a railing with some friends and one of his friends was teasing him, playing with him and pushed him and he fell and he hit the back of his head on the cement, and he lost his sight. And he says, like the disciples who asked many questions, who sinned, this man or his parents? Why is he blind? There must be a reason for his blindness. Father Gillick says, I still hear the questions from within and without, trying to reconcile my blindness with God's providential love. The, the questions come quickly, the answers much more slowly but they do indeed come. And so what he begins to share in his reflection about blindness is the beautiful spiritual reality of spiritual poverty, right? Because at the end of the gospel, let me find the quote. He says to the Jews,
I think it continues after the end of the gospel this morning. But he says to them, if you were, if you were to admit that you were blind, you would see. But because you say that we see, you remain in your blindness. And so what the Lord is telling the Jews who are opposing him and berating him, and what he tells all of us is that true blindness is the beginning of spiritual sight. That is, the blindness of spiritual poverty. To admit that we are nothing, that we are creatures, that we are totally and wholly dependent on God, that we have nothing of ourselves to offer, but we can only receive from God the good things of, of his gifts. This is the beginning of spiritual sight. So Father Gillick says that one of the important lessons that he learned from being physically blind is that there is this insecurity of knowing. Right? When somebody is sick, when somebody is blind, when somebody has a, a difficult trial in their life, they ask questions what is the meaning of this? What good will come of this? Why did this happen? Did I do something to deserve this? Is God angry with me? What does he want me to learn from this experience? Do I have enough strength to endure? Right? All such questions are racing through our mind and in our hearts. And so the first thing he says about spiritual poverty as it relates to blindness is that we learn to wait for the answers to come slowly. While the questions are racing in our mind, we have to be patient to wait for the answers to come slowly. And he describes the frustration of those who try to describe to him the beauty of the natural world. He says, just as my friends could not explain the beauty of nature, neither can I make you understand my experience of possessing this terrible gift of blindness. I do not therefore attempt such an impossible task. Indeed, I write of something that I hope will prove to be much more helpful and closer to your own experience. I am writing about our common blindness and what my physical blindness has taught me about the more universal gifts which God gives to those who acknowledge their own darkness and blindness. I came into this world that those who do not see may see, the Lord says, and that those who, may, and that those who see may become blind. I came into the world that those who do not see may see that those who are poor in spirit may see, and those who are proud and arrogant in their thoughts and in their hearts, that they may become blind. So the first reality that he speaks about is this darkness of insecurity. To be spiritually poor means to accept the insecurity of life. He says, people growing in the spiritual life are persons who welcome without irritation the mysteries of not knowing, not seeing, but who move and walk and trust nonetheless. The man born blind asked for sight, and Jesus responded by saying, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, without directly even promising him his sight. Think about that. Jesus told him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam. He didn't tell him that I promised you when you do that, you will see. And without directly even promising him that he would give him sight, he had to trust. And if he was to receive his sight, his trust had to move him physically. Receiving his sight depended on entrusting the mystery of his darkness to the healing promise of Jesus. So the first lesson that Father Gillick gives us is the, to accept the poverty of insecurity. And this poverty of insecurity means that we, we, we move, we act, we live, we obey, we respond to God 
even though we don't understand the why, even though we don't know what will come about our obedience and our following him. The disciples themselves had to learn what was going to be the end of all of this. You asked us to leave our fishing nets and our careers and our families. What will be the end of it? Jesus said, come and see. Come and see. He didn't give them a, an itinerary of how all things would, what the outcome of all things would be. Secondly, Father Gillick speaks to us about being receptive to receive what God gives us at every moment. He says, it is sometimes the most painful of all to accept. At parties or any large gatherings, I do not have the freedom to choose with whom I will talk or sit or spend the whole evening. Think about that. He goes to a gathering like any one of us, and we get to choose who we will go and speak with and sit with and have a drink with. He says, I don't even have this luxury. I cannot say to someone, excuse me, please, there's an old friend I haven't seen in years and thereby escape. In the simplest of all things, I find this invitation to stop being so finicky. I do not like eggs in any form. This is not the famous, I do not like eggs in ham. He says, I do not like eggs in any form, and when dining as a guest at someone's house, I have often encountered large and small pieces of egg in the salad. Often I do not even know exactly what I am eating. During my visit to Korea, my companion would look at me and say, I can see it, but I can't tell you what it is. When buying clothes, I have someone else who does the selection. I usually go with some person the same person, that way my appearance at least stays somewhat consistent. As Christians, we are asked to receive his comings in whenever he, in whatever form he chooses. So the experience of someone who is blind, who learns to just accept and receive what comes to him, he cannot choose even the most basic things. He cannot simply reject that which he dislikes. And he says this is the great gift that we learn by being spiritually poor, to receive from God what he gives us at every moment. He says, though I extend my hand with desires and expectations, I am learning not to have my hands preformed to what must be put there, but to remain choiceless, sensitive, sensitively ready to unwrap his presence. So yes, he has desires, he has preferences, he has choices that he wishes to be fulfilled, but he says, I extend my hands without them being preformed. I remain choiceless. And this is what the great gift of detachment is, is to not have preferences, or at least to not always act on our preferences. And then finally, he says, dependence and patient waiting. He says, I have experienced in my own life the tension between asserting, I can do it myself, and conceding, would you please help me? I can easily be afraid of trying to do too much, trying to prove that I am normal, of being unrealistic and heroic, and of not accepting my limitations. I am also afraid of being too dependent, being a burden on others, of not doing my share, of trading upon my blindness, or of appearing lazy. So his experience of blindness teaches him to discern this tension between dependency on another and not being lazy and doing things that he can do on his own. As I was reading about his life, I read a little bit about the different kinds of blindness. And of course, there, are, there is the blindness in which somebody sees nothing at all, darkness. 
And there is the blindness in which somebody still receives light and can see vague forms of, of objects like big trees or a person as a shadow or as a, as a movement. And they said that although, of course, for those who are blind, they might prefer the latter, but the latter is much more dangerous. Because the la- in the latter, when you see somewhat, you are tempted to try to do more than you can do. You try to depend more on yourself, and you stumble and you fall and you hurt yourself and you put yourself into great danger. So it means the more blind we are, that means the more spiritually poor we are, it means the more dependent we are, and the more we accept this dependence on others. Here, specifically, spiritually, we mean to be dependent totally on God. And he says that one of the fruits of dependency is patience. He says one of the more painful aspects of being dependent is having to be patient. My time has to fit with other people's time. I need to be helped to put on my clothes or to eat or to go on on an errand. And I am totally dependent on when somebody is available. I have no independence to do it on my own. And then finally he says, the impatient energy in me sometimes explodes and I rush out of my room and stub my toe on the stair or bounce my head into a partially open door. I hear the words of Isaiah, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Blessed are those who wait for him. The Lord waits to be gracious to you. Blessed are those who wait for him. In front of the gracious God, I wait, and I'm slowly being converted to being a waiter rather than a server. So myself, I was greatly inspired and enlightened by this remarkable story of a, of a young child who received this, what he calls this terrible gift of blindness, and yet was drawn in his love for God to pursue priesthood and, um, and to give many beautiful retreats. And as I discovered him, I discovered some of his other talks, which if you are interested to search him on the internet, his name again is Father Lawrence or Father Larry Gillick. And you can see some video clips also where he talks about this terrible gift of his blindness. And uh, may these beautiful lessons that he gives us about spiritual poverty be uh, an opportunity for us to open our eyes to see the God who is looking at us, the gaze of Jesus which produces saints. And to him be all glory now and ever into the ages of ages. Amen. Blessed are they in truth.